0: Welcome to a, another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web design and development with a little bit of zest. Today, we are going to be talking all about software development, getting started, and what that transition looks like.
1: Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even at a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compressed.
0: My name is Amy Dutton. I am the Director of Design at Zeal. And today I have my co-host, Brad Garipi.
1: Hey, I'm Brad Garipi. I am a front-end developer at Atlassian working on Confluence.
0: And we have a very special guest, Leticia, who has written a book called A Friendly Guide to Software Development. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Leticia. I'm a software engineer at Stripe and the author of A Friendly Guide to Software Development. And I'm very happy, thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, for sure.
0: So what did that process look like? You had a, do you have a different career and then you transitioned into tech?
2: Yeah, I originally graduated and then did a master's in oceanography. And for those who don't know what it is, it's basically the study of the oceans, which is a very beautiful profession. I, I wanted to work on something environmental, something that would be like the future. And somewhere along the way, I fell in love with programming. And I started teaching myself to code just because I thought it was fun and, you know, this kind of things. And ended up deciding to switch careers somewhere along seven years ago.
1: Okay, so I got to know, like, oceanography. But like, go into more detail, right? Because was there any connection to programming or anything like that?
2: More than you can expect. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually my second year in college, I got this like internship. It was like like a research internship kind of role, and in there, I started working on MATLAB, which is this data analysis kind of software. It has its own language. It looks a lot of like data. It's very focused on matrices and arrays, and I started like doing some you know data analysis about like rivers and if we're trying to find some correlations there. And as I would, you know, do these things of like, okay, one, I really like this. And two, I think it's easy for me to understand. And from that, eventually I I met a few folks that were really like into programming. They would program since they were like, you know, in high school or something. And they were like, well, if you like MATLAB, you should totally study Python because like Python has modules that will do everything that MATLAB does. But it will give you the power to do so much more, and then I started like discovering this whole world of programming that I didn't know existed. you know:
1: I feel like MATLAB is bringing me back to my college days. I was an electrical engineer, and so we did a lot okay. of arrays yeah. and matrices to to do circuits and stuff. But yeah, then when you find out you can automate it all, it's like moving from like Microsoft Excel and like script into like a full-fledged programming language where you like, I can do anything I want now.
2: Yeah, definitely. And MATLAB has also like this interface buildup, up, so like you can build interfaces with that. And I I really found that that fascinating, right? Like you can build softwares and you know create this desktop applications. So it was like really amazing when I discovered like there's even more to that, you know.
1: Yeah, and that's interesting because I think Python is your primary language of choice, right? Yeah. And definitely. I feel like <laughs> traditionally Python maybe isn't associated with any kind of UI development but it's great at like crunching numbers and data science. So how did you kind of pick Python or why did that come to the forefront when you were considering learning how to program?
2: So Python chose me more than like I chose (laughs) Python. (laughs) Again, I'm a huge nerd. I like studying like random things and I was at the time studying programming and there was this Python meetup at the city, at the town I was working. So the guys who recommended me Python were kind of like, hey, matlab is kind of like python is kind of like an easier matlab with more powers and so like i started studying that and i thought it was very like way more easy way more intuitive than matlab and then there was this community being formed in my city and i decided to go you know just because and then with that i started getting involved with the python community and then you know teaching women how, like, other women how to program and kind of, like, building events and then doing talks and then, you know, writing blog posts about it. And so it was kind of like this getting more and more in love with the community. And then the language was just, like, super powerful. So, like, why choose anything else, you know? Also, at the time, I was working on this, like, so we used to work on this maneuverability of ships kind of software. And so I had to build this like really dense maps with like lots of layers that was super heavy. And I used this program called Ar- this program called ArcGIS, which is super heavy. So we use like satellite images. It would take me like four days to build like 15 kind of maps. And then I discovered that ArcGIS was completely automizable by Python. So I built this script, was my first like useful script ever. And my job went from like four days to 10 minutes, right? And then I was like, okay, I definitely found something (laughs) here because, you know, I got so much time back. That's awesome.
1: It's crazy to me because I feel like when you apply tech to industries that really need it, real estate is always an industry that comes up in my mind where I feel like they could benefit from tech and programming and uh, applications, like the benefits just are so immediately transparent like that. Yeah. Yet then, you know, you've got entire companies that all they do is software and you feel like there's endless possibilities of code to write problems to solve. But yeah, when you bring tech to a non-tech industry or to to an area where it hasn't been exposed and automated, benefits are huge. Yeah,
0: that's definitely true. So how did you start learning Python? Okay, so this
2: is like way back in 2012 so there was not as much resources online that we have as we have today for me the the point in time where everything changes that I found this like MIT courseware website where their intro to like computer science I think it's 600 or 601 I don't remember was for free right and so okay. I was like watching computer science in Python for free like from MIT in like this random city in Brazil that I was leaving you know and also like this again these guys that I used to work with they were really incentivizing me so they were like oh I doubt that you can you know read this file and do this and kind of like giving me small challenges to like incentivize me to study and then again as I said like I went to my work and I discovered that ArcGIS was customizable so I started like for the first time, putting all this like random things that I was studying in practice.
0: That's awesome.
1: How did you think Python was as like a first language? Do you ever, do you know any other languages and have you ever looked back and thought, Oh, maybe, you know, that was a tough one to start out with or no, that was the right choice for you.
2: Oh, definitely the right choice. I studied a little bit of go, a little bit of Scala and I work in Ruby mainly for the past few years, but Python would definitely be my language of choice. Like, I think it's, Getting so many advances is getting so fast. So like, if you see all the data science stuff and like powerful, powerful tools are being built in Python and in Python combined with other, like even more powerful languages together, you know, and it's so easy, like in, in many, many instances, if the code is well done, right? Like reading a Python code is almost like reading an English text. So I really like that. And I really miss working like on day to day with Python.
1: But you're Ruby now, right? So uh, yeah. <laughs> is that safe like to say that like Stripe is using Ruby for some projects? Yeah,
2: it is. Yeah. Is
1: it using Rails specifically? or
2: No, it's like its own thing.
1: I have very limited to zero experience with Rails. <laughs> Python was an early language that I was using back at Dell to do a bunch of automation type stuff.
0: I know just enough Rails to be dangerous. So Zeal... Is primarily Rails and React, but I just make marketing pages. I can generate a page, (laughs) add some HTML and CSS to it, and ship it. (laughs) But that's about it.
1: Let's go back a little and talk about like your involvement in the communities and how maybe that was probably important in continuing to push yourself forward. Learning to code can be like really frustrating and really hard and almost isolated if you don't have like maybe a group of people to talk to about it or answer questions. Did you have that experience? And do you feel like, you know, those groups were the things helping pull you forward?
2: Yeah, definitely. But most importantly, are some people in those groups. And so basically, like, it sounds nice, right? Like I went to a Python event and like everything was like nice and shiny. The reality was that the first Python community event that I've been, I was the only woman like only woman that was like actually studying programming. And like, I got there and I was like saying, you know, these things that I was doing, like this tiny script and using NumPy and like some very specific languages. And everybody there was super nice. And they're like, yeah, sure. You're a programmer. Like, yes, you're like super welcome here. Then I got to four hours or three hours. I don't remember. Like it felt very long of web development talks. And I sat in a corner of the room where I really couldn't leave. Like I would have to cross everyone to leave. But I had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. It was completely like they were talking alien. And I sat there for like three hours, like feeling so stupid, right? Like, why am I here? What am I doing here? Like, I'm wasting time. I'll never come back. And again, like in retrospect, it made sense. I was doing data analysis. The talks were about web development. But for someone... Who were doing that as like, you know, a nerdy thing, (laughs) like just for fun and never expected to have anything coming out of that. That was super scary, Mm -hmm. frustrating, like many things, right? So I left and I never looked back. I was like, I'm not going to come back, right? Like I'm not going to waste my time doing this. And then so some of the people who were there realized that this happened and like another event happened. I didn't appear then another. I think two or three happened and they realized that I di- I wasn't there. So they invited this guy to do this talk about NumPy. And then I started receiving multiple messages, right? Like, hey, next event, you're going to have a talk like for you, like you should totally come. And kind of like, at least I remember at least two or three people texting me, right? And when I got there, I got like this huge reception and people telling me like, oh, you felt frustrated because it's like a completely different area. Like that's normal. Nobody there was really understanding necessarily, you know, this kind of things. And so, and then they started like, let's make a group of women. Like let's, like you can teach other people. And then like from that, I started getting more and more involved. I actually became like director from the Brazilian Association of Python that like helped organize events and things like that. I organized like a local regional event for like 300 people so like it was a a gradual like growth within the community but also like there was this group of people who cared like they really cared right and so of course like finding communities is important but like finding communities who are who have people who really care. Mm. I think that is the main difference that I found there, you know, and that completely changed my life, right? (laughs) Like if they never called me back and they never join a Python event again and or a tech event again. And so the story would be very different.
1: Man, that's awesome. It sounds like, yeah, your particular peers were like very involved with your journey and very supportive. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, sometimes it can be hard to find, but that's awesome. You found the right group of folks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I really like about your story is so many times I feel like I have blinders on when it comes to web development, that there's so many other applications for programming beyond just web development.
2: Definitely. This is one of the reasons why I decided to do the book, right? Like, and the book is kind of like the tip of the tip of the iceberg, but the idea is kind of like showcase a lot of things. And not only like programming is way more than just like web development but like software is way more than just developers right and so like this kind of like myths have to be broken and more people have to be included on this this conversations
1: so beyond just like your interest was there anything else that motivated the career change did it come with any like you know monetary gains or promotions or things like that that helped you say like yeah i really made the right choice here <laughs>
2: Definitely not. (laughs) Um, So there were a couple of things. I was working on this like engineering consultancy company. I had a good job. It was very stable in my life. I think I was doing a good job. But like the area I was working is very, very specific, right? And so like if I wanted to change jobs to like, I don't know, get a raise or, you know, change Mm -hmm. a little bit the career path I was going I would have to change cities necessarily, right? Like you have one or two companies in each city. And so like, I can't choose the city, then choose a job. I have to choose a job and then just like accept the city. So it was very narrow in terms of opportunities for some of the things I wanted to do. And I didn't want to change where I was living. I was very, very happy there. And so the opportunity was kind of like dropped in my lap and I was like, well, should I take it? Should I not? And I'm very bad at translation, but my mom always has a saying that says like a horse that's ready for you to ride will never like go past you twice. So I had this opportunity and I just like decided to try like worst case scenario. I come back with my, like I asked for my job and, you know, back or, you know, I'll figure it out, but it was very scary. It was a way lower salary really? that I was having before. Yeah. And much harder way. So I wouldn't have the money to drive by car. Like it would be too much in gas and like parking spaces and all that. So I had to go from like a 15 minutes commute by car to like a one hour and a half by bus. So definitely not easy, but like something told me I was doing the right thing. Right. But that's not to say that it was easy. I cried like the night, like the night before I called my mom and I was crying and I was like, what did I do? Right. Like I, I made this huge mistake of like getting a lower salary, you know, like farther away place within an area that I know nothing about. So it was not easy. It was not easy. So like, of course, now I have a good job. I moved abroad. I, I moved to Dublin. So I have a lot of things, a lot of friends and, you know, career growth that I, I I wrote the book, which was like the dream of my life. And all of that came for that because of that decision. But mm-hmm. it was definitely not like an easy one.
0: It's interesting how some of those pivotal moments almost feel like self sabotage. Um, 100%. We've, when we moved from Chicago back to Nashville, we had a great life in Chicago, but we were moving back to be with family. And so that was the whole reason we were moving. And we knew that it was the right thing to do, but it just felt weird mess, like messing up our life in Chicago because we loved it so much. But You know, again, that's what we feel like is the right thing. And that's opened up other different opportunities because we've moved. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And maybe you have that switch in your brain like the rest of us do, where it's just like programming is just so interesting and fun and never ending. And there's Mm -hmm. always something to learn where you're like, I'm going to be happy with this for a really, really long time. And so I know I'm being drawn in the right direction. Mm hmm.
2: Yeah, I, to be honest, like, I don't know. It's, it was so chaotic, you know, yeah. that point in my life that is hard to say, like, exactly why I choose what I chose. But I think, like, I'm so glad I did. <laughs> but again, like, I always say, of course, I had a lot of privileges in that I have a good family. I had my mom who could like, I asked her to help me like financially Mm -hmm. while I was, you know, making this transition and all of that. And friends who supported me and helped me out when things Mm -hmm. go, because things didn't go smoothly, like right after my first job. So like, there's a path between your first job and actually becoming confident in in your Mm -hmm. new career. And I had a lot of support, like both financial for my family, but also like emotional from my friends and, you know, loved ones. So like, there's a lot to to consider in, you know, it's now that everything worked out, it's very easy to look back and see like, oh, it was really nice. But like, there was a lot of help involved. Mm-hmm.
0: So walk me through the timeline. What did that look like as you were going from this job to where you are now at Stripe? So <laughs> let's
2: see if I remember everything. So I started studying like programming,
0: com- like Python
2: around 2012. Then I got my first job like later that year as an intern, like internships is a little bit different in Brazil. Then I got like my real job in 2013, 2014, like full-time. Then 2015, I joined my master's, which is where I decided to do everything in Python. That's the year as well that I joined the Python community. Then 2016 was when I got my first job. I changed jobs a little bit in a couple of companies, between 2016 and 2018. So my first two years were kind of like going through some like companies, see what I like, what I don't like. Then in 2018, my partner got a, which I met through Python community as well, which is how uh, whole new other story. So he got an offer to move to Dublin. So we decided to move together. And so I couldn't really get a job in Brazil, like because we were on the process of moving so I found out this internship called Outreachy, which is basically like Google Summer of Code, but for minorities. And so you don't have to be in college, right? So the idea is to simulate minorities to underrepresented groups in tech to apply to internships with open source groups. So you worked for three, four months getting paid to work on open source projects. And the idea is kind of like boost confidence, improve CV, get experience all of that. So I passed to work on the um, Jupiter Hub project. And I met some amazing people there. And so like, it was kind of like doing this project while I was moving to Dublin. And then I applied for Stripe. And I've been in Stripe ever
1: since. That's awesome. That that program where you go around and work on different open source projects sounds really, really amazing. Like, It's
0: only one
2: project but you work oh, on one. that okay. for a, for like for three to four months.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. Okay. And Jupyter it's Notebooks really is, cool. is like a big yeah. a big deal in the Python community. So it's like very perfectly positioned for what you were wanting to do. Mm-hmm. It was
2: a bit different. So I worked on the Jupyter Hub, which is kind of like the infrastructure to run multiple Jupyter Notebooks in like companies or for classes. And okay. so it was more like web development. I developed this new login system for Jupyter Hub. But I was close enough with like Jupyter and I met like all the Jupiter community and it was really, really nice. I super appreciate and I have a lot of gratefulness for my mentors there.
1: I will say like, I feel like every decision that you made along the way kept pushing you in the exact right direction, right towards data science, you know, down to the language you picked, down to, you know, these projects you worked on and then ultimately landing at Stripe. I feel like some people's journeys are a little bit more like zigzaggy where they're like, I kind of got it together along the way and wound up at a final point, but yeah, you had some really good focus and foresight there.
2: Kind of like data is my love; like, is the thing that I am. The way I, I was thought to taught to think is with data, but I'm actually a backend developer today, so I'm like very. <laughs> okay. Although, like everything pushed me towards data very much into backend web development these days.
1: Okay. Well, this is a really great transition to talk yeah. about like entering in, into Stripe. I've actually interviewed with Stripe before, and I had to say like hundred percent hands down the best interview experience I've ever had. How was your experience going through that process and um like what kind of stuff are you doing now?
2: Yeah, the process was amazing at the time. I didn't know like Stripe so well. Stripe was not present in Brazil at the time, if I'm not mistaken, and, and you know, like I was. I met this woman who was amazing, a great engineer there. And I was like, I want to be this woman, you know, I want to work with women women like that. But then I started like studying about it once I applied and I was like, oh, this is like huge, right? Like this massive, like super important company. And, but the process was so nice. Everybody was so helpful. And, you know, I just fell in love with everything and luckily I got through and so I work today on our Stripe Tax software. So basically Stripe Tax is our software for sales tax, VAT collections, and all this kind of, you know, this part of the process of the payment flow. And I've been there for a long, long time, but I really like it's a complex area full of nuances that I really enjoy.
0: One thing that I wanted to ask you about, you had mentioned confidence earlier. How long did it take you in your career to feel like, oh, I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> will i ever get there <laughs> well and i think that it's like the trick question is there's always something to learn you know that people yeah think that seniors have it all together and have everything figured out but it's like the goals keep moving you know yeah so what i say is that
2: like confidence comes in cycles right so mm-hmm. when That's i was grading, yeah so in when i joined it was my first full-time job in english right
0: um Oh, maybe she didn't even think about that.
2: Yeah, that was a challenge of his, its own, right? And so like when I started, it was like every day feeling pretty insecure, right? And then as time went by, it's like every week, then every month, then you know, and so it's not to say that it doesn't happen, right? And especially when you have some something else, right? right? Like maybe it's not related to work, maybe you have a family problem or you're feeling very tired or you're feeling sick. And like on those days, your confidence level just like goes down. But what I like, there's like several curtains of that is like, what does it showing up means or being good means, right? Like in one day, is like a full cup. And then days like a half a cup. And the other day is like one fifth of a cup. And so it's kind of like in average, how do you go about your career and about yourself rather than like every day? And so... I actually have a really good blog post where I write about that. And like, I have my strategies is for like fighting my imposter syndrome and like fighting mm-hmm. when I'm not feeling confident is actually writing about my career and what I'm doing in like multiple levels. So I have a daily work diary where I write everything I work. So sometimes mm-hmm. you spend three days in the bug, and you can't really find the god reason why that thing is not <laughs> working. And it's not that you stay three days not doing things, right? Like you don't have anything to show up, but you did things. So I write like, Oh, I tried this. Then I tried mm. that. Then I talked to this person. And then I have like, even though three days went by and I don't, I didn't solve it. I still have kind of like a proof for myself. This is like just me. Nobody else sees mm. it, but like I have proof to myself that I, like I didn't do nothing on those days. Then I have kind of like brag docs, which is kind of like what I worked in the past six months. And then I have a like a year reviewer kind of like write down everything that happened to me that year, like good, bad, things that influenced me so like i because it's in cycles, the confidence levels, I also like write my achievements in cycles so mm. I can you
0: know fight them in multiple levels. That's awesome I love how you phrase that that confidence comes in cycles yeah, it's true i've I've never really thought about it that way though,
1: yeah, and having all these work journals is very important not only to like to show your manager but yeah to prove to yourself that you're making progress and mm-hmm. that there are good days and there are bad days. I've never thought about having one in particular where you just like write down frustrations like that'd be an interesting one to have where you just use it to vent and then maybe later you're like wow I understand that better now mm-hmm. or yeah. you know yeah that's still a problem maybe somebody should solve it or maybe that's my next problem to solve in the future.
0: Yeah. yeah. From a design perspective, I think that's one of the things that even separates juniors from seniors is like I know as a senior, I have a proven process when I'm doing design or doing programming and trying to figure something out. And that gives me confidence moving forward that even if I come to a project and I don't know what the next step is, I know that I have this process that I'm going to go through and be able to figure it out. And so I'm sure for you, like, okay, when I encountered a problem like this before or a similar problem, Like, these are the people that I talk to. This is my process. And that helps you be able to move forward and get over that hurdle sometimes that mentally can be even more overwhelming than the problem itself. Yeah. Very cool.
1: So at what point in time along this whole journey did you write your book?
0: I was going to ask the exact (laughs) same thing. (laughs) Yeah. So I joined Stripe in
2: May 2019, Right along there, I started meeting a lot of people, both in Dublin and in my company. And I started to talk to some people and one of my passions is kind of like teaching software for my mom, my mom's friends, you know, like my friends who came from other areas. And so this is something that I've always enjoyed doing and kind of like doing this weird analogies that like don't make any sense to someone in tech, but like that may be really nice for someone who's not in tech. So this is always something that I enjoyed in this process of learning how to do software, especially because I come from this, like, teaching myself, right? Like, so I had to do some, like, crazy analogies in my head. And so I met some people and they were, like, moving from a traditional company to this, like, very big tech company. And they were, like, I'm very stressed out. Like, I've never worked in an environment like this. Like, all this like, tech words are flowing around, floating around and I, I have no idea what they mean. Like, I'm terrified I'm going to get fired. And they didn't need to know tech for their job like as much, but like they were feeling very frustrated. And I was like, oh, there, there's something there, right? Because that person's feeling is not, you know, like unique. We know that all the time. And a lot of the times people I talk to about tech, they were fascinated about it, but they were scared that they were not like, you know, smart enough or whatever, So I had this idea. Okay. What if I write a book about software with technical terms, but for people who are not developers and they don't want to be developers. They just want to understand the world that like, you know, we're all into now, right? Like we all have uh, smartphones and, you know, our elevators are smart and our fridges are smart and all of that. So I started like, okay, maybe this is an idea, but I shelved it, right? Like as I said, it was my first job in English, moving to another country, like there was a lot of things going on in my brain, simply <laughs> couldn't handle everything. So it was kind of like, even with blog posts and community events, I like kind of dropped everything because I just needed time to process all that. Then the pandemic happened and I had all this free time in my hand and I was like, well, like I might as well like do a proof of concept. Can I even do this? Because like, again, I want to talk about like deep technical stuff, but I d- want to do it in like friendly way, like a, a way that's, you know, so basically I spent about a year like just in, a, like not even a chapter, I would say like a couple of sections of the book and kind of like iterating and like giving it to friends and then receiving feedback and iterating. And then about a year after that, I was like, okay, I have something. I think this can go somewhere. And then from there I actually like started the development. And it took me about a year and a half to like actually finish everything.
1: So like when you're writing this book, are you are you just like typing it in a Word document? Like do, are you using any special software to do it? Because when I think of like people sitting down to write a book, I don't even know the first step that I would take.
2: Yeah, I decided to use latex. Okay. I used it before in my masters and, you know, like you don't have to worry about, you know, formats and all of that. And also you can use GitHub to version your book, right? So like lots of advantages. And I've seen that a couple of publishers, I, at that point in time, I was not sure if I was going to, you know, self publish or not, but I was like, okay, versioning and I don't need to worry about formatting. Like it's all good. It's all perfect. So I, I just did LaTeX from the beginning to end.
1: That's awesome. And how long did it take to write kind of like from beginning to end? And did you have to do any major rewrites when you were asking for feedback from friends and family?
2: So it's two and a half years from like my first ever page to, okay, my manuscript is done. Like, I'm never going to touch this again because I can't take this anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... Sorry, what was the second question?
1: Uh, did you have to like do any major rewrites or rethink sections? Like, did you get a lot of feedback that really changed your direction?
2: Definitely, I have a mentor, great, 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 Luciano Hamallo. He wrote Fluent Python, which is like bestseller of Python, and he's a friend and the mentor. And I talked to him multiple times about it, and it was already like received ton of feedback from him from some friends, also like the tech and I think the major, like, learning was that the chapter that I was, like, my proof of concept was, like, my first chapter is now chapter number four. So, oh, interesting. I was, even though I was, like, writing for my, you know, my very basic audience, like, basic in terms of, like, technical software development kind of audience, I was still going, like, too deep, too fast, even though I had this, mm. you know, thought in mind. So, it wasn't, like, a major rewrite in that, se- per se, but it was kind of like, why are you talking about, you know, IP address or, you know, internet if like you didn't explain what a browser is? And I was, in some sense, it's like, okay, but should I go as basic as this? And so like, there was some debate there. But at the end, I was like, and then the book, I, I actually like, hey, bear with me. Like, maybe some of the things are very basic to you. But like, I think I want to, you know, make sure everyone is in the same level before we go deeper. So not so much as like rewrites as much as evolving the idea and making sure can include everyone really, you know, like and not only jumping too fast into very technical subjects.
1: Yeah. I think it comes down to like understanding your target audience. And like, even when you're writing a blog post, a technical blog post, you're like, well, how many layers of this onion do I have to peel back? Where do I stop? Where do I start? Because... I, you know, this can't be an encyclopedia. It's gotta be, you know, whatever, 2000 yeah. words. And that's that.
0: It also comes the other direction too. Cause you have to figure out like how many layers <laughs> am I going to lay on? When am I going to stop? Because it can be endless. I think the best advice that Luciano gave me was to
2: think of my book as an MVP. Mm-hmm. So like, what is the minimum version necessary for this book to be useful? And I thought that this was very liberating, right? Like that mm. was very, okay. So I don't need to put everything on the book. And so like entire like chapters that I thought would be like one chapter, like became idea for like full books, right? Because the books actually is going to be a series. So a fr- friendly guides to technology. So we could have like entire books from chapters that I like. If I did a chapter, it wouldn't be the same as like if we had a friendly guide to whatever topic we have here. So thinking about that and kind of like thinking what is the minimum I can put, it was really liberating in a way. Mm.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, like think of everything as a draft or done is better than perfect. All these phrases to help you ship things, right? Yeah. Uh, I love that. I was
0: going to say, shifting gears, you love to travel too, right? Yeah, (laughs) very much. (laughs) Okay, that's what I thought. So is your... With your job, do you just work remotely or do you just go on trips on the side? What, what does that look like? Trips on the side. Um, okay. I think now is the first time I'm working remotely
2: for fun. But I, I usually, what I do is, you know, any holidays, you know, bank holidays, I could one, two more days. Like Europe, one of the reasons we wanted to come to Europe is everything is very close. Mm-hmm. So it's like one hour, two hour flights. You can go like a lot of places with completely different cultures and all that. So I'm taking full of the adventure, adventure, adventures of that.
0: Awesome. What's your favorite city? You have a favorite place. <laughs> If I don't say someone, <laughs> I'm going to be in, <laughs> in a
2: lot of trouble.
0: Okay. Do you want me to qualify that? What's your favorite European city? Mm. Okay.
2: That's a tough one. I'm going to say Dublin because I live there and I really yeah. like the city. But for traveling, I really enjoy Amsterdam. Okay. I hear Amsterdam
1: come up all the time. Yeah.
2: It's very cozy. It's like a small city. Lots of like good food and good bars on summertime is really beautiful. And if you go into Amsterdam, go in April where they have like the tulips. So you can go to the parks and see like, I know it's a very like, you know, sea flowers, but like, it's very, very beautiful. And I really like it. But Dublin is super nice. And summer in Dublin is amazing.
1: Ever been to the States?
2: Yes, a couple of times.
1: Yeah? Where have you been over here?
2: I went to PyCon US in Portland, which okay. I absolutely loved. Like, I love the city. It was my first time. I went to San Francisco a couple of times, Orlando for a conference as well, and Washington. Okay.
1: Yeah, San Francisco is okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where all the tech happens, so.
0: Yeah. Funny. And it's funny too, when you say the cities, I know it's just like this in Europe too, but it's like each city has its own personality. (laughs) So, Like when you're listing off, I'm like, okay, what is the perception of the United States like (laughs) based on those Yeah, Definitely. (laughs) Eric in the chat's giving you a hard time because you didn't say San Diego. (laughs) He said insert city here, but I know he lives in San Diego. Hopefully I didn't reveal too much (laughs) about his location. Let's see, I th- Brad. What other questions do you have?
1: I'd get into or, more Stripe stuff if yeah. If you let's wanted do to. that. Do that. Yeah. Okay. So you've been at Stripe for like what four years? I think you said twenty nineteen yeah. is when you started. How has the progression been there? Like, what was it like being a new hire at Stripe specifically? And then have they given you like a good path forward to get promoted, progress, learn more things?
2: Yeah, definitely, and it's gonna be annoying. Like I have a blog post about that as well. (laughs) I'm gonna say that a lot. (laughs)
0: That's so awesome (laughs) that you've written everything. We can talk about that later too. But yeah,
1: I do want to go back and talk about the website because anybody with a good personal website and like lots of posts, a Uh plus.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. I think it was amazing. Like I met so many amazing people that taught me so much. Like the bar is very, very high. And but at the same time, people were so nice. And the Dublin office in particular, like it's super fun. So I really like that. And I love the opportunity of like learn, right? Like a lot of things are written down. There's opportunity for you to read and learn from like even projects that you're not working on necessarily. So I love that and definitely I've been growing. I've started on Stripe Tax right as the project was beginning. And I've been there for like a long time. So I was able also to see the evolution of the product itself. Not only like the engineering, but like the product mentality, right? Like how do we think as we begin a project and how we grow and and all of that? Do do we integrate with other Stripe Stripe products? And I absolutely love that. So definitely been a a major career growth for me. Like really, really good one.
1: Okay. I think my biggest question about Stripe is that They set the bar so high from UI design, from API design, to developer experience in testing environments, to documentation, like everything is on point. How in a company so big do they keep everybody like not only on the same page of how things should look and feel and work, but also like having that same mindset, like nobody's taking shortcuts. You can feel it in the product as you use it. Nobody's just taking the easy way out. Everybody is so on the same page. So how in a company so big do they keep that culture?
2: Good strategy, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we have a really clear strategy. I think people are really willing to collaborate and help you on achieving the goals of your project. Of, you know, It's a full mentality of focus on users, focus on getting you know, good products out of the door and making sure we're doing the best for our customers. I think that's like the whole mentality of everyone you work with. So whenever you're, you know, discussing a project, you get help from other people to make sure you're, you know, doing the most quality work you can
1: do. And kind of like a follow up question, do you feel like that perfection only exists at the surface level? And then like some of the code underneath is like a giant mess? Or do you feel like really from the ground up, everything is like well organized and perfect?
2: Yeah, no, I think, you know, like we always have areas to grow and improve and things like that. But like quality is the priority, right? Especially because like a bad code, wherever it is, is a bad code, right? Like it mm-hmm. can lead to bugs, to reliability issues, and, you know, all of those things. So like quality shouldn't be overlooked even if it's like just internal
1: man that's awesome yeah i've always envied stripes engineering culture and i feel like there's so much to absorb from being at the company and and absorbing and learning from everybody there
2: yeah it's really nice
1: okay so stripes amazing and you've written about so much including like your start at stripe on your personal website when did you build that and what technologies did you use to build that
2: Okay. Another thing like that I like to talk about is this is not my first version, right? Like, and the fun fact is that if you actually put like v1.libertella.com, you'll find like first version and then v2. And I think this is before. And so it didn't, it wasn't born like this. And I actually started on medium, right? And so the thing that I I always try to say to people, especially people who who are beginning, like you don't have to have, you know, ready to go or the perfect version of something to start. So I started on Medium and I wrote there for a long time. I think my first website was kind of like just to, you know, show some links and have some kind of like spreadsheet organization of like Portuguese and English blog posts. And then, you know, I decided to do something different and then something different and then something different until like I got to this like latest version. So that's one point of it. The other thing is that, so technologies that I use, I use Hugo on as like a static, dynamic, static generator of web pages. I use GitHub to start the code, which is all there. Like the other day, someone sent me a pull request fixing a typo on my blog or something like that, which was nice. Then I use Netlify for the deployments and the goat counter for stats. Which I also have a blog post because I changed from like Google to Goat Counter, and I wanted to see how they would perform.
1: Yeah, I'd be really interested to hear how this Goat Counter thing is working in comparison to Google Analytics. I've never heard of it before. Did you like the transition?
2: So the transition was super easy for me. My partner was like playing around with it, like launched the server of it. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna use it. So I let it, like, both of them run for six months. I'm not going to remember everything, the results. Like, they, there were differences, right? Like, differences that I could understand because, like, Google has way more information than Goat Counter will ever have, right? So there were some differences that I that could explain, some differences that I couldn't explain. Overall, like, if you're not, like, super interested, I thought it was, like, they were kind of the same. But I like it, like, Goat Counter is open-sourced, They have a free, I think on their website, if you go there and if you have less than a number of viewers, you can get like the free version of it. That's nice. So I wanted to do something that was less Google and like less, like I don't have ads or anything. Like I wanted like less and less, you know, Google things or like privacy issues for the people who want to read my website.
1: Nice. And is this a hosted service or do you have to host it?
2: So yeah the, there's a hosted version if you are under a number of views that you can ah, go ah. to their website but we have our own.
1: Sweet. Yeah, this sounds yeah, like a great, great alternative. I like I just need to know how many people click on stuff on my website. <laughs> like I don't need a bunch of information about them or anything like that. Just like tell me how much traffic I get. Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And like for that it's more or less the same. Yeah, I think great. maybe because it doesn't have Google Analytics it is a little bit worse off in terms of SEO. It could be. Mm. Um, I feel like there's a little bit less traffic than you used to, but I'm fine. I'm, I'm not doing this, you know, for, you know, major views. I just want to have a
0: place that's my corner on the internet, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been using Fathom, which I really like, but you have to pay, like I think I pay $14 a month and I can put on as many sites as I want, but it is an extra expense.
1: That's pretty steep. <laughs>
0: And one of the things I'm going to say is like in Brazil, $14 a month is super
2: expensive, right? Like, So a lot of the, you know, online available things that you have that are like considered cheap in the US, like might be super expensive in South America, Latin America. So Hmm. like, I also always try to use like free technology as much Mm -hmm. as I could. That's great.
0: On your website, you have several different posts in different languages. (laughs) And I, it, <laughs> um yeah well if you want to comment on you can i was just gonna say it's not translations though so i've clicked through it it's like certain posts are written in different languages right
2: most i try to translate but like you some do. of them yeah feel like writing it three times so two times i don't speak spanish but i so okay. the posts in spanish were a colleague of mine a friend okay. of mine that was like i'm learning computer science I love your blog post and I know Spanish, so can I translate it as part of my study? And I actually like told them that they could put it like the translated version on their website. Sure. But they kindly said no, that they wanted it to be available on my website. Oh, wow. My native language is Portuguese. And so I try as much as I can to have everything in Portuguese at least because like we don't have the most Content, right? Like mm. most blog posts, more, most technologies are written in English, written in yeah. English. Most content is generated in English. And in countries like Brazil, Latin America, speaking English is quite a privilege. Mm. So the most I can put like content in Portuguese, I try to always, like if I write in English, I always try to translate it because I know like speaking English, reading in English is quite privileged. So I try to always have in Portuguese. But I've been writing right in English more and more as like, it's my mm-hmm. day-to-day job and it's getting more comfortable. But I, I always try to be mindful with like, I want to generate content, good content for my country and for mm-hmm. people who don't have the privilege to study and afford, you know, studying English.
0: Yeah. I don't know if this is a dumb question or not, but when you're programming, all that's in English, right? You're not. Yeah. Okay. So that yeah. would be another barrier to entry for somebody that's wanting to get into development if they don't. Not only from definitely. a content perspective, but from a writing perspective. I
2: think it's way difficult, right? Like way more difficult to to people who don't have any notion of English. Just like, as I said, Python, all it's beautiful because it's kind of reading in English, but I spoke English, so that was easier for me. Mm-hmm. But like a for loop, right? Like for something in something, like it it's just words if you don't know the language. So that's why like I definitely feel like we need more content in like localized languages Mm, mm -hmm. uh, because it's so important. It's a massive way of including people who who are not necessarily the top percentage of population that can pay for, you know, studies.
0: What would you recommend for somebody like me? I'm embarrassed. I only know one language. (laughs) It's just English, but I am totally open to people translating stuff. Do you like, would you recommend reaching out to translators or, like I don't, I know Chat GPT might be get getting to the point where I could say, "Hey, translate this," but it's one of those things where if I automate the process, I have no clue what it's translating it into. <laughs> that that's a tricky one, right? And when you think about
2: open source, I think that's like comes the importance of communities, mm. right? So, like in in Python Brazil. We have like sprints during Pack on Brazil so people can, that speak English can translate, right? Like you need community efforts to do it on like more professional levels. Yes, I would recommend a translator or something Mm -hmm. to make sure, you know, for instance, in Portuguese, the height of a room, it's called like left feet, like left foot. It's a weird translation, right? So like things like that can happen on automated, like when you're not using Mm -hmm. this line. And another thing that's difficult is like not every word is translated, translatable. Mm-hmm. Um, so like some words you might find a translation, but nobody really uses. So it's, you might as well like either put it in English or put it in Portuguese with like an English, you know, mm. I parenthesis. And so you have to have these nuances to be considered as well.
0: hmm well, we can get into the next segment of the show. And this is where we pick something that we like and we plug something generally that we've worked on. doesn't have to be tech. So, um, Brad, do you have any picks and plugs for us?
1: Uh, let's see. I've got a, I've got a pick. I recently bought a Nintendo Switch and I've been having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm playing Zelda for the very first time. The like new I've one? Never... Yeah, the new one. Okay. And I'm just getting the hang of it, getting the groove of it. And I'm like, this game is massive, yeah, so that's what I've heard, yeah, taking a nice break from like coding on the side to play some video games.
0: There is an older version of Zelda that they like remastered for the switch that I love because I played it as a kid. so I'll have to send you the link. I don't remember which which one it is, but it was right. fun to see like my son play it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that level,
1: yeah. <laughs> Yeah and uh Gooseman i hear you but i've got a big gaming pc so i don't need i don't need a steam deck really I'm looking <laughs> for something like i i kind of got it so that i could play with my kids and my wife you know too so <laughs> sure. i picked up mario <laughs> kart and everything so good excuse to have some family time yeah that's- and uh for my plug just my youtube channel youtube.com/bradgarrepy brad still haven't released a video but you know, one in a while, but I'm still marching towards getting monetized and trying to get those view times up.
0: Oh, yeah. So people just go play his videos in the background. There you go. <laughs> you can mute them if you need to, but just hit that watch time. Oh, that's awesome. Leticia, do you have any?
2: Uh, yeah, it's very, again, very nerdy. <laughs> um, I'm reading The Staff's Engineer Path. It's a book from Tanya O'Reilly tanya riley sorry and like i i have a lot of like you know comments about like general career books uh, about tech like most of them felt feel very frustrating for me coming from a non-cs background and although this is from like a next level for me which would be like staff engineering i find it very human very personal i really 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 like that and for plug i'll say my book Uh, Yeah, I'm really happy it's out like it's the dream of my life. Uh, It's like my ultimate goal in life. And so like whenever I can promote it, I will.
0: Awesome. Um, Northern Chimp in the chat asked about James. He's doing great. So they had their baby last week. Her name is Jamie. And I haven't talked to him a lot. I'm sure he's living the newborn life (laughs) right now. So,
1: yeah, I talked to him a little bit. He seems he seems to say everything's going good. So yep. maybe it must not be too hard.
0: Um, I'll start with a plug. So I'm going to plug the Learn, Build, Teach Discord. So this is a Discord that James runs, speaking of, and I'm a moderator on. So it's a great place if you're trying to find that community that we talked about, try and support each other as much as possible. You can ask questions, whether you're a beginner or a junior or a senior, whatever, wherever you are on your coding journey, we try and be helpful and encourage one another. So for my pick, I'm going to pick HelloFresh. So I feel like I heard a lot about HelloFresh during the pandemic because people didn't want to go to the grocery store. But we've just recently picked up a subscription to it because just having to do meal planning and all that can sometimes be difficult. And it has been fantastic because we get a box of food on our doorstep every week. It, with different meals that we've picked and everything has been delicious. So honestly, it's better than any of the restaurants that we have around us. So we've really enjoyed doing that. And it's given us more variety than like our standard recipes that we're usually cooking. So we've really enjoyed doing that.
1: How's the bang for the buck there? Is it like pretty expensive uh, for what it is or you think it's good value? It's,
0: well, I'm conscientious of this because we were talking about be, coming from a place of privilege and $14 being a lot for analytics. So I think we pay like $100 a week for a box. So that's three meals for five people, which if we were going to go out to a restaurant, we're getting close to that. Yeah, which is, I mean, just the cost of living here is a lot more. So it's looking at like $33 a meal for five people. And then depending on what the meal is, sometimes we can even get leftovers off of it. So sweet, um, yeah, but my kids have enjoyed it.
2: I use a similar service. It's not HelloFresh. It's Mm -hmm. another one. And it's like what we say, is. It's more expensive than doing things yourself it's way cheaper than mm-hmm. you know going like for a restaurant so it's mm-hmm. kind of like in between yes and it's good to learn like different you know recipes and yeah like tricks and things like that which i really yeah. appreciate
0: yeah eric mentioned blue apron we did blue apron for a little while when we were in chicago and we've liked telefresh better but that was like probably five or six years ago so i'd be interested to see what it how Blue Apron has iterated on that. So, and the other thing, I mean, if you're beginning cook, I feel like I can follow a recipe, but it does a good job of teaching you how to cook. And that's the other benefit. Cool. Well, I think that will do it for today's show. Again, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's great to hear about your journey and everything like that. And Brad, thanks for being our co-host. Always. So for now, that's all we've got.